Chapter 8. I said, give me another. Sirk barked at the tavern owner standing behind the waist-high bar. The day is young. Go find some fresh air, the tavern owner replied. I don't need air. I need another drink. Or do I have to pour it myself? Sirk said, emboldened by the alcohol coursing through his veins. The tavern owner, and most of Renton, had grown tired of Sirk's common outbursts. His foul moods occurred frequently, coming like an unwanted visitor. Over the past several months, Sirk's visits to the tavern had devolved into a habit, with the ale promising friendship and vowing goodwill, but never fulfilling either. You're not going to find what you're looking for here, Sirk. The voice in the background hit Sirk with a sudden shot of sobriety. Every time you do this, you wake up in a field wondering if it was worth it. It is not going to bring your father back, Aidan said. Aidan, my dearest friend, join me. We should sit and talk and consider the crimes against us. Sirk leaned against the bar and gave Aidan a curt smile. Then he tilted his head back, raised his empty mug above his mouth, and waited for the single lonely drop of ale to drip onto his tongue. The drop plunged to his chin, and he looked at Aidan and grinned. We should kill them Britain bastards, Aidan, Sirk said. You and me, we should do it, we should kill them. Sirk. We should, Aidan. It's the only right thing to do. Sirk paused and scanned his empty mug once again. Have a drink, Aidan, my friend here was about to pour me another. Aidan leaned against the bar and stared into Sirk's glazed eyes. Sirk, I didn't come here to drink, I came to get you out of here, to do something to clear your mind. Do something. What do you want to do? If you want to go south with me and find some Britons and kill them, then sure let's do something. Sirk pushed away from the bar in an overly dramatic manner. Sirk, let's sit. The Britons can wait. We can stay here and talk. Aidan pointed to a table in the corner of the tavern. He glanced at the man behind the bar. I'll take a pint, he said and he turned to Sirk. See, we can sit. All is well. Yes, all is well, Sirk mimicked. The sun remained high in the summer sky while cotton clouds sailed below, only occasionally shading the sun's light as they passed. Alpin moved from the searing sunshine and stepped onto the wooden planks of the walkway leading to the blacksmith shop. The shop's thatched awning provided the shade he was looking for. Kenneth followed behind his father. Ferragus, the blacksmith, poked his head up when the two stopped at the shop front, filling the shop's double-wide doorframe. I need those shoes in three days, Ferragus, Alpin called out to the blacksmith. I don't want my horses running free without them. Yes, of course. You'll have them, Ferragus said, stopping his work to address his customer. Three days, right. Alpin reminded. Yes. You know you'll have them. How many times have I brought you shoes, nails, pots, whatever you ask? I'll deliver them in three days, as we agreed. The short, heavy-set, older man was busy with his words. He was a fastidious and nervous man. Alpin snickered at the blacksmith's grumpy retort. I'll tell my mare not to fret, that the noble Ferragus is hastily preparing her shoes. Well, that would be kind of you. You can be certain they will fit her well, Ferragus said as he wiped his brow with a dirty rag, smearing a black smudge across his temple. He shoved the rag into the front pocket of his shirt and peered at Kenneth. 
is he as pushy at home, lad? The blacksmith asked, wearing a wild-eyed look on his face. Well, at home he? That's a fine necklace you have there, son, Ferragus interrupted, pointing to the cross hanging from Kenneth's neck. Thank you, sir. It was a gift given to me, from my brother. I know, the man said with a twinkle in his eye. I made it. Did you notice the fine edges, I fashioned them just so. The gold has to be just right, not too hot before the cut. Yes, sir, I noticed how? You must be the favored brother, the blacksmith interrupted a second time. The favored brother. Well, yes, Ferragus said with an eager smile. You were given the cross of gold. Oh, well, my brother, he. Take care of that, it's a gem. These horseshoes, Alpin interjected, three days, right. Yes, yes, three days. You'll have them in three days, Ferragus groused. He shuffled around a scarred iron anvil mounted on top of a three-foot-wide stump, and glanced back to the rear of his shop. My fire? He exclaimed and hurried to the fireplace to tend its dying flames. Alpin chuckled to himself, gazing on as the bustling blacksmith nurtured his oven back to life. Suddenly, he was startled by a tap on his shoulder. Father, who's that? Kenneth asked, pointing east toward the edge of Renton. Alpin peered out the doorway. In the distance, three men were approaching on horseback. They rode abreast and carried a banner of colors. Alpin reached down, and felt the handle of his sword. Get Aiden, he muttered. Kenneth shoved open the tavern door and stormed inside. Aiden was sitting at the corner table, sipping a pint with Cirque. Aiden, father wants you. Aiden lowered his mug, his face holding a puzzled expression. Come on, Kenneth said. What is it? Aiden asked. Riders, coming from the east. I don't know who they are, but father wants you. Can't you see we're having a drink, Lord Kenneth? I am sure your father can handle this. He's a mighty man, Cirque said carelessly. Shut up, Cirque. You can sit here and drink for all I care. Lord Kenneth, I hath offended thee, Cirque said, slurring his words. Aidan, I have neither the time nor patience for this. Let's go. Kenneth demanded, and he turned and vanished through the doorway. The three riders reached the edge of Renton. Alpin remained under the awning of the blacksmith shop, watching as they approached. Ferragus stood behind him. The shops and merchant carts no longer had their visitors. The women and children had disappeared. The men of Renton aligned along the shop fronts and waited as the riders neared. The riders slowed to a trot as they entered Renton. They glanced about, surveying the men gathered on the street. The rider in the center called out, we are seeking Alpin of Renton. Alpin stepped into the street. His hand never left his sword. He moved toward the middle of the street and then walked toward the foreigners, keeping the sun to his back. I'm Alpin. What is your need, picked? Their painted arms affirmed their origin. The black inked sketches on their skin were detailed and distinct, forming intricate shapes and lines. I am Diort, captain of the Picked Guard, the rider in the center stated. Angus, lord of the Picts, approaches. He desires a word with you, a word you should take heed to hear and consider. The rider's intonation was even, his tone terse. 
Angus. Where is he? Alpin replied and glanced to his right. Kenneth had returned and was now standing at Alpin's side. He caught his father's glance and peered back at the tavern, hoping to sight Aidan approaching. Diort sat up in his saddle. Lord Angus comes. We are his forebearers, he said. He paused and then spoke smugly, it is a wise man who sees what lies ahead. Lord Angus esteems the eyes of his forebearers. As the Pict spoke, Alpin noticed an entourage cresting the hill in the distance. Our High Lord Angus graces us with his presence, Alpin muttered. Kenneth stole a second glance back toward the tavern in search of Aidan. Where is he? The Pict entourage stopped at the edge of Renton. Angus left the assembly and rode his muscular white steed toward his forebearers. When he reached them, he coaxed his horse to the front. He scanned the men of Renton and then locked on Alpin. It has been some time since we last saw one another face to face, Alpin. The years have been generous to you. Angus, you are still the same, your love of grandeur hasn't left you, Alpin retorted. What brings you to Dalriada? Surely you have amassed enough power and wealth to find all that might appease you in Pictland. Alpin, the matters at hand extend well beyond power or wealth. You've heard the reports of the enemy to the north, I presume. They are vicious and merciless, and they attack our lands as we speak. We have already heard the reports and confirmed them for ourselves, Angus. We know of the attacks. Then you know they are Vikings. Angus said and peered at the men along the street. Do you know this? He asked the men, his voice now growing louder. They are led by a vicious man, Halfton the Black. They seek to take your people, and my people, as slaves. Some say they are using the men to build camps in the northwest, and they ship the women to their homeland across the sea. They are animals. They have overrun towns in northern Dalriada, and have recently made movements toward Pictland. We Scots have fought the Vikings before, they bleed just as all men bleed, Alpin said. We will see to the protection of our land. It is not your worry. Don't be a fool, Alpin. These men are murderers. They will push farther south into Dalriada, and take every soul they find, with sword or chains. They have no conscience, no mercy. Your men stand here as if this is yet another fine day, with no worries in their minds. They will consume you in your sleep. You have come here for a reason, surely it wasn't simply to insult us, Alpin replied. I have come to make peace, Angus said. Our people have had differences in the past, but now we face an enemy greater than either of us. Join us and we can defeat them. Alone, I fear neither has a chance. You fight to defend your land, and we will fight to defend ours, Alpin said. That should suffice. We have no interest in aligning with the Picts. Angus sat agitated. He turned in his saddle to address the bystanders, it is more than simply fighting to protect your land, our land. This is an opportunity to come together and unite to form a people of greater strength. Together, we will show the Vikings, the Britons, and all men that they cannot stand against us. His words lingered in the air and no one spoke. Kenneth heard the sound of shuffling steps behind him. He turned to see Aidan and Sirk heading in his direction. Sirk struggled to walk a straight line while Aidan kept him upright. Angus continued his proposition, to be strong, we must unite against this enemy. I am here today to provide an offer of unity to you and to your families. Angus' horse slowly veered to one side, yet he held his gaze, 
scanning the men as he spoke. I seek your loyalty and offer you my protection and surety. I ask you to pledge your sword to me, and in turn, I will see that you and your families have your necessary provisions and every measure of protection. This will keep our lands strong and free. The Scots murmured among themselves, for the Pict Lord's request for loyalty bore the same signs of subjugation that the Dalriadans had earlier escaped when fleeing Ireland, men who ask for loyalty, yet demand far more in return. Alpin eyed the men of Renton standing along the street. Each was staring back at him, anxiously waiting for him to speak. Alpin's eyes shut. He rubbed his jaw with several strokes of his palm, fighting to quell his anger. He peered at Angus. Your words of unity and peace are illusions, Angus. You ask us to fight as one with the Picts as though we held an alliance, but your pledge of loyalty is properly a pledge of fealty. The men of Dalriada are free, why would we surrender our most sacred possession? You would have us work our land and serve you, so that you could provide for us. That is what you are promising. Dalriadans have never cared for such schemes. Alpin squeezed the grip of his sword. Do not take us for fools, Angus. It would be best that you leave. Don't leave? A voice blurted out. A surge of anger pulsed down Alpin's spine as the words entered his ears. Alpin peered over his shoulder to see Cirque standing behind him. Cirque pressed his hands on his hips, laboring to stand erect. We should hear more from the fine lord, Cirque said. It's time we stop doing nothing, we've done nothing too long. Maybe we should consider what the good Pict says. Together, we could put an end to our enemies, we could put an end to them wretched Britons. Alpin glared at Cirque. He clenched his teeth, causing the muscles in his cheeks to ripple as they tightened. You have spoken beyond your understanding, boy. We are done here. Alpin directed Aiden with his eyes, giving a silent, irritated command. Aiden grabbed Cirque's forearm and tugged him backwards. No. Cirque said, ripping his arm free. He stepped away from Aiden and turned to the men in the street. We've had enough of our people doing nothing, Cirque's words spilled out in a drunken mixture of beggary and anger. We should have killed the Britons long ago, but we've done nothing. My father's blood lies on some faraway field, and what do we do? Nothing. That's enough. Alpin exclaimed. Kenneth claimed Cirque's arm and twisted and pinned it behind his back. Cirque lurched forward and tried in vain to break free. Then the two brothers spun him around and marched him back toward the tavern. He resisted every step. We should listen to the Pict. Cirque's drunken words ended abruptly when Kenneth's fist struck his ribs. Angus watched as Cirque and his escorts departed. He peered down from his perch atop his tall white horse and grinned at Alpin. I believe the boy hears the wisdom of my offer, you'd be wise to hear it, too. He paused and then finished, I make my offer to you today. I will not offer it again. Alpin resisted the urge to pull his sword and charge the man. He resisted the urge to cut him down where he stood. You parade into Renton as a mandated king, and you proffer some lofty notion of loyalty, Alpin said. We do not fear the Vikings. We will not give up our lands to them, nor will we come crawling to an old Pict who charades as a friend, yet whose heart intends to rob us of land and freedom. You speak of unity, while your desire is to chain us to your whims and have us do your bidding. It won't happen, Angus. You should weigh your decisions more carefully, Alpin, I fear that in your stubbornness, you will give up far more than you hope to keep. 
we've given the blood of our fathers and our sons for this land. I have watched the blood of my own son spill for Dalriada, our land will never be yours, not as I live. We will watch over our people, you watch over yours. Now leave our village. Angus spat on the ground at Alpin's feet. He jerked his head and signalled his entourage. Then he spun his horse and scowled at the men of Renton before fixing his gaze on Alpin. You will look back on this day with regret, Scott. With deep regret. He turned his horse sharply without looking back and rode away with his men. Alpin stood motionless, watching as the last of the entourage crested the hill and disappeared. Pompous fool, he muttered to himself. Kenneth returned without Aidan or Sirk and stood by his father's side. Father, if the report of the Vikings is true, then should we prepare to fight. Alpin stared off into the distance. We are preparing. Luag rides now to Dumbarton and Melton. I've also sent men to Cashel to gather Constantine and his men. The clans of Dalriada will gather in Renton within days. We will meet these Vikings and we will fight them. They will not take our land. Why wouldn't we have the Picts fight with us? Kenneth asked. Would we not be stronger? Long have I known Angus. He is a man thirsty for power and hungry for prominence. His tongue is cunning and deceitful. His plea for our loyalty, in return for provision and protection, is but a veiled attempt to have us do his fighting, in return, we become his subjects, like peasants to a king. Alpin placed his hands on Kenneth's shoulders and he stared intently into his son's eyes, Kenneth, you serve no master. You serve no king. You pay respect only to the Creator above. Few men have known such fortune. Our people, in generations past, have had men, men of their own blood, proclaim themselves leaders, but even these men grew corrupt in time. For over fifty years now, the people of Dalriada have pursued a life free from the oppression of such men. In times of war, we unite under a leader, but when trouble has passed, we return to our lives as free men. No one above us, no one below us. Was life not meant to be lived as such? Father, I hear your words. And yes, it is good to be free. But, if the Vikings are strong in number, wouldn't we do well to have even the Picts fight at our side, and after the fighting we go our own way? Kenneth, Angus was asking for a vow of loyalty. But he means for us to submit ourselves to him, that we would serve him. In the end, when the fighting is over, having given our pledge of loyalty, a pledge of fealty, he would rule over us and demand from us as he pleases. Unity may be strength in battle, but in times of peace, it grows like a plague into bondage. I will not have that for you, or for any man. Do you see, son? As a gift from God, you and I were born as free men. And we shall live, and die, as free men.